chapter 15. So make your way to 1 Corinthians 15. You can put your fingers in Matthew chapter 4 and let's stand and let's read from God's Word here. This, this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it, it is a, the definition of the gospel. And so Paul writes here to the church in Corinth, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved. Might want to underline this little spot. If, if, if is a little iffy, isn't it? If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, long dash, because it should be there. By which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preach to you. What's he talking about? Well, I think it's really clear in the last part. Unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. And that's the outline of the gospel message that needs to be present today. And Father, this morning, as we turn our hearts to your word, Lord, will you give us ears to hear and just bless our time this morning in your word. And Lord, speak to us, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. The title of my message this morning is Called to Save Lives. Because Jesus has placed a calling upon our lives. And that's God's mission for the church. Even as Jesus came to save lives, he's left you and I because we are called by God's Holy Spirit when we turn to him to save lives. Jesus has called you and I to be that instrument to go out that lives around us might be saved today. See, team, that's why you're on God's team. Team, he called you for a purpose. And as we head into our study this morning, keeping in mind that we are called for a purpose, and team, that has got to be God's purpose. See, before you got saved, you were going your way, you were doing your thing, and in these last days of Christianity we're living in, it's, the gospel is, just come down, because you're hurting, you can keep your hand in your back pocket of what you were doing before, pray this prayer, and you'll go to heaven, and you just keep going your same direction. No, that's a false gospel. There has to be a turning somewhere. There has to be. It was, we stopped his first words. We're going to see it. It's Jesus' first words. It was Peter's first words. It was Paul's first words. It's critical. It's critical. Please know as we head into verse 11 and 12 here, there's a gap of one year between verses 11 and 12. We left off at verse 11. But as we start in verse 12, there's a, there's a year plus or minus gap here. If you want to find out what was going on during that time, you can go read John chapter 1 and chapter 2. 
So from the time Jesus was baptized at the end of chapter 3, and then it's, remember, it says, then immediately he was led by, the will, uh, led by the Spirit out to the wilderness. And then here we are. So from the time Jesus was baptized and the time John the Baptist was put in prison, most agree it was about a year. I bring this up because if you were just reading Matthew's account, you would miss the break in action here. So about a year later, plus or minus, from verse 11, verse 12, now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. The John here, it's John the Baptist. And he was put in prison because in the midst of the ministry that God had called him to, he had told Herod, the ruling governor of his his day, that it was unlawful for Herod to have his brother Brothers Philip's wife named Herodias. Herod, or John the Baptist went to Herod and said, hey, look, it's not lawful for you to have Herodias, man. She belongs to your brother Philip. Now, she's a great piece of work. We're going to see her when we get into Matthew chapter 14. But for now, just know this. That John the Baptist, who was called by God for the mission he was called to, just like you and I and every other Christian down through the age, except it seems like in the last age of days of Christianity, we can just do whatever we want. Now, James 4 calls that boasting and says it's arrogant. We can't do whatever we want. We were going our way, doing our thing, and when the Holy Spirit started calling us, we had to turn. We had to take ourselves off the throne of our life as the master, and we had to turn. And if you look at 1 Corinthians 15, you have to stay turned. You had to stay turned. And John the Baptist, well, he was beheaded for being faithful to his mission. Put in prison, then beheaded. Why? Because he was faithful to the mission that God had called him to, even like you and I. See, Christianity is not a spectator sport. It's not come, sit for an hour, go out and live your life any way you want. No, 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 no. It's, that was before Christ, when you were the king and master over your life. But now that Jesus is the Lord and master, as we go down through this, watch, he is directing the affairs of people. In verse 12, the Bible tells us that Jesus departed to Galilee, so he's traveling farther away from where John the Baptist is in prison and leaving Nazareth, verse 13. Nazareth is where Jesus grew up. Remember, the, in the Jesus' neighbors, they rejected him. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. Please notice that as Jesus settles into Capernaum, he's fulfilling previous prophecies that had written before him, that had been written about before him. And just think about that. We've seen this before. Think about every place Jesus has ever lived, there was a prophecy that was written about him. Because see, every one of them had to be fulfilled. Even when he was a baby, there was a prophecy written about him that had to be fulfilled. When he was born in Bethlehem, Micah chapter 5, verse 2, but you Bethlehem, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel whose going forth are from old, 
from everlasting. That's not David. No, David was 1,000 B.C. Micah's about 650, 700 B.C. So God predicted where Jesus was to be born in Bethlehem. We saw that. Remember when the wise guys came into town and, and, the, and the scribes all got together and said, oh, he's going to be born in Bethlehem, the king of the Jews. And then we saw Jesus, or we, we didn't see Jesus. We saw Mary and Joseph run to Egypt with their baby. And then they're called out of Egypt. Hosea chapter 1, verse, or chapter 11, sorry, verse 1. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and I called out of Egypt, I called him out as my son. And then Jesus grew up in Nazareth. And, you know, a team, we should have read that back in Matthew chapter 2, verse 23, but somehow I skipped it. So you might have caught two verses I missed out of two chapters last week, and I'm sure this is coincidental, but you missed the last five verses of Matthew chapter 2. So in a really weird fashion, we're going to go back there and we're going to pick it up and we're going to see where this prophecy of Jesus being called a Nazarene comes from. And in the process of doing that, you're going to see once again how Joseph, the godly man in tune with the Spirit of God, leads his family because that's how godly men are. They're in tune with the Spirit of God. So Matthew chapter 2, verse 19, because it got skipped. But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. Remember, this is nothing new in his life. Saying, arise, take the young child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the young child's life are dead. That's why they fled to Egypt in the first place. Herod was going to kill him. The angel came and said, go, go, go. And he took off. Verse 21. Then he arose, Joseph did, took the young child and his mother, Mary, and he came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father, Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream. Can someone say another one? Four times in this man's life this has happened. Can you say awesome? I mean, I, I want to be led. I don't want to do my own thing. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee, and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, because it had already been written, he shall be called a Nazarene. Now, what prophet or prophets, or writings of the prophets, is Matthew referring to? That becomes the great question, and we're just going to leave that up to the scholars to debate out. I'm not going to wade in on it. Just know this. Nazareth was kind of a loser town back then, and it's still kind of a loser town today. And yet it became known all over Israel that this man that was healing the lepers, raising the dead, giving sight to the blind, healing afflictions, casting out demons. He was no other than Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus being his name, which was extremely common back in those days, and Nazareth identifying which Jesus it was. So I would be Bruce of the Woodlands. <laughs> Almost sounds regal, doesn't it? <laughs> Even as Jesus was Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth is where he, where he grew up. Okay, so. Like, this is like the weirdest thing I've ever done. So after we took a tour to go pick up what we missed, we were in verse 13 seeing yet another place where Jesus lived. Leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt 
in Capernaum. And in doing so, Jesus once again fulfilled another prophecy concerning where he would live. And that prophecy is found in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. But Matthew has it for us right here, starting in verse 14, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. God sending his son to lost sinners. And upon those who sat in the region in shadow of death, light has dawned. Now, here's what's so amazing about this. I mean, just think how impossible this is. All four of these were recorded plus or minus 700 years before Jesus came to this earth as a baby. Born in Bethlehem, called out of Egypt, grew up in Nazareth, lived in Capernaum. How easy would that be for you to write out the rest of your life if you were young? Could you determine where you would be? No way. Four moves predicted before you were born. One move out of the country in which you were born. What are the odds, team? How many people have never been out of the country? Mexico and Canada don't count. Raise your hand high. Okay? So everyone else has been out of the country? See, if I look at my life, Born in Spokane, called to Santa Barbara, called to the Woodlands, Texas, and died in the Philippines. Well, that's only in my dreams. I mean, who could have ever wrote that before I was born? If I throw out died in the Philippines, it's still impossible to predict, seeing I had never been out of the Pacific Northwest ever in my life except to fly to Disneyland three times and then drive from LAX to Disneyland. I thought, who could ever live here? So it's impossible. My parents wouldn't have wrote that. But see, God does about his own son. This is no problem for our God who created the heavens and the earth and controls everything. And since he controls everything, then we as little children, we don't have to. And that's what makes the Bible so unique. See, the Bible, the book that you hold in your hand, it's all prophecy. It's all prophetic. God spoke, men wrote it down. And yet, there's also prophecies of future events. Do you realize there's 300 prophecies that surround Jesus and every single one of them has to be fulfilled or this whole book is wrong? It has errors. So how's Jesus doing with that? Well, they're all fulfilled except the coming or the second coming. Everyone has been fulfilled except for the rapture of the church and the second coming. So don't you think if God has a perfect track record with every Bible prophecy fulfilled in the scriptures, that the few that remain about the second coming of his son will come true as well? Isaiah the prophet wrote hundreds of years before Cyrus, the king of Persia, was born that he would be the king, and he was. Who could do that? Only God can. The, the Sea of Galilee that Jesus is setting up shop at, it's really a lake. It's 14 miles long and it's eight miles wide. It's around 600 feet below sea level. So it's kind of way down in a hole. 15 to 30 fishing towns, depending on what you count as a town, surrounded it during Jesus' day, with Capernaum being the largest. And that's where Jesus is. 
And we're going to see as we continue through Matthew that not only does Jesus make Capernaum his home instead of Nazareth where he grew up because they rejected their homeboy, but most of the events and the miracles that we read of in the scriptures, a lot of them are going to take place in Capernaum. So as you look at verse 16, we get a good idea of what the spiritual condition of this area is like. They were lost. And I like the fact that God had his son set up shop in a place where people were lost, where they were blind, because see, Jesus was called to save. The, this region about Galilee was a despised country, at least from the devout Jew's perspective. It was a land where Gentiles and Jews lived, and a good religious Jew, Jewish man would never want to go up there. It was also an era known for the hangout spot of troublemakers. So see, we all would have fit in pretty well up there. Remember the story of the 2,000 pigs rushing down into the sea? Well, that was on the Sea of Galilee where they had their unlawful pig business set up. Now, with all that being said, I like the fact that God has his son growing up or doing his ministry up by the Sea of Galilee because it was full of common people, ordinary people. It was full of the sinners of the day. Spiritually and physically blind people lived out there, much like it is in our town today. There is a lot of spiritually and physically blinded people in our town today. The only problem is people here have got really good at hiding what's actually going on inside their lives. And they don't realize they're spiritually dead. But team, that's why God's called you and I. He's called you and I here to this part of the world. He's called us that souls might be saved. Too many people today know some part of God, but Jesus said you got to be born again. It's not an option. God has us here for this reason. Verse 17, critical for salvation. The first words of Jesus, the Christ. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Does that sound familiar? It should. We spent 40 minutes on it. It's the exact first words of John the Baptist. If you weren't here, you should get it a few weeks back. But let me remind us of a couple things. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. As you were moving this way, doing your own thing, and then the Spirit of God started calling you. But you were in charge of your life this way, and repent means to turn. And as you turned, all of a sudden you realized, I don't want to be in charge of my life anymore. So repent as you Hearing God calling you and then turning to Jesus. And as you consider Jesus and what he's done for you, yeah, Lord, I believe. I don't want to be the Lord of my life no more. And you continue in that. It's not I turn and then I turn back and live life myself. I'm not sure what type of Christianity that is. I haven't read it in my Bible. It might be there, but I don't think so. And we turn because the kingdom of heaven was at hand quick detour, just for a second. I want you to see this so maybe it can clear something up in your mind. Mark chapter 4, verse 12. Just spin ahead a few pages. It's really quick. Jesus is speaking here in Mark chapter 4, verse 12, and he's speaking about the lost, so that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand. Look what this says. Lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. That's, 
That's what the word repent means. You have to turn. You can't go forward and add an altar call, going this way, you pray some prayer and you keep going this way. I'm sorry, you're not going to get in. There's too many question marks about that. Here it says, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. Now, if you believe that you can get into heaven without your sins being forgiven, man, you got greater faith than I do. You got to turn, team. It's got to be a part of a true salvation gospel message. It can't be, oh, just pray this prayer and you'll go to heaven. Your sin will be forgiven. No, you got to turn. You got to repent. What's that mean? Then you have to explain it. See, when you turn to Jesus because you hear the Holy Ghost calling you, in that moment of time, you see, I don't want to be the master of my life anymore. Tired of being the master of my life anymore. I didn't even know there was an option. Yeah, there wasn't when you were the master of your life. But when the Spirit of God is calling you, man, you turn and you allow Jesus to be the master or the Lord of your life. That's why it says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. But I can't just say, he's my Lord, and then just keep on going the same way. No, you got to turn because that makes him Lord. And what God's word declares in 1 Corinthians 15 is if you hold fast to that which you received, which was you turned and you believed and you allowed Jesus to be the master of your life and you keep going that way. Perfect in it? No, that's not what 1 Corinthians 15 says. It says hold fast to, present tense, continually hold fast to that which you heard when you were saved. And that's what you heard when you were saved, was you were going your way and God was calling you saying, you got to, here, come my way. I got a better way. And you turned. And you said yes to Jesus because you believe he died for you and rose again from the dead. And you took yourself off the throne of your life. You see, the grace of God was calling us. I, I believe God even gave me faith to believe in that split second moment of time. I just needed to respond to the grace of God. And my eyes were open. It's like, I'm not serving that stuff anymore. Lord, I'm serving you. Because that was the choice placed before me. Team, don't ever let anyone talk you into moving away from that. People have to turn to have their sins forgiven. You saw it right here. Back in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. And Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Now, please understand, this is not their first meeting. If you read the other Gospels, you'll find they met at other times. But as Jesus comes to him this time, then Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, they, say the word, immediately left their nets and followed Jesus. I mean, do you see what happened right here? Jesus called his own publicly. Well, you know, pastor, my faith is kind of private, so I don't like sharing it with anybody. No, that's not what's going on here. I don't know where that comes from. He calls them publicly. He called each one of us publicly. Jesus said, if, if you declare, confess my name before men, I will confess your name before the Father in heaven. If you deny my, if you, you know, if you don't, he won't. It's in there. We'll get to it eventually. Jesus calls, Jesus calls them with a promise. I will make you become fishers of men. 
And look what they do. They drop everything. They're going this way. They're doing their fishing business. They're, they're masters of their life. And he calls them. And here they come. They follow Jesus. And yet, you know, as we've read through our Bibles, it was an interesting three years for Jesus, right? I mean, he didn't seem to mind, but it seems like he's always going, hey, so what are you guys talking about back there? Oh, nothing. The weather? <laughs> and yet they're always arguing over who would be the greatest. Please understand, so, there's so many times we find in the Scriptures where they're arguing over who is the greatest, I can guarantee you not every single one was put in. Notice that when Jesus called them, they responded quickly to the call. They left their trade behind, and Jesus took care of them three plus years while he was with them, and he took care of them every day of their earthly life after he was crucified. Going on from there, verse 21, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee, who will be the first apostle killed, and John his brother, who will be the last living apostle. Many believe John was, about, was a teenager in his late teens, 18, 19. And they're in a boat with Zebedee, their father. They're doing their business. They're doing their thing, mending their nets. He called them. It's almost like Matthew, as he writes to this Jewish audience, and he says, look, here's Jesus' first words, and let me show you what it means. And he gives us these pictures. And he called them. And immediately they left their boat and their Father, don't say that, Pastor. No, that's what it says. They left their family and followed him. I can't leave my family. I'll lose the inheritance. At least you know who you're serving. But do you see a pattern developing? Jesus calls you and you come. That's the pattern, church. Go read the book of Acts. The very first message, it's preached 3,000 souls are saved, and what do they start to do? They sell everything they have, and they had all things in common. I, I don't think God was leading them to do that. It brought about greater problems later on. But Jesus called them, and they followed him. You, you follow that down through church age. Jesus is in the business of calling people and people following him. But today, in the last days, it's not going to be like that. In the last days, Jesus will be calling, but man will be making his own decisions. They'll be having a form of godliness, but denying its power. You can go read all about it in 2 Timothy 3 and 4. They'll be lovers of themselves. They'll be the shot callers of their lives. See, I don't know what's happened. See, you can't... Turn to Jesus and allow him to be the Lord of your life and then take that all back and start making all the decisions for your life. That's not biblical. And like I said in James 4, James says, come now, you who say, I'm gonna move to such and such a city, engage in a business and make a profit and do all these other things. Instead, he said, he said, he said instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills. Because honestly, if I could just make my decisions if I wanted, I wouldn't be here right now. I'd be on CQ or on the beach. I would, but I can't because Jesus hasn't called me there. Guys, and we can't make the decisions for our life. Jesus is the Lord of our life. We can't. And I understand all across Christianity, people are making decisions all over their lives. 
But the New Testament picture is he calls us and we follow and then daily we deny ourselves, pick up our cross daily and we what? Follow Jesus. That's the pattern. You, you can read the, the, the Old Testament scriptures about it where it's Proverbs chapter 3, and I just forgot what chapter 3 verse 5 is. Oh, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your path. It's not a, well, I'm just going to do this. Well, okay, did the Lord... Tell you? I mean, that's where Aaron's wrestling out right now. Do I go to this school? Or do I go to that school? He's waiting on because he doesn't know because the Lord hasn't spoken to him. It's the greatest place to be in, being in that place of not knowing, but knowing that God has something. So you wait and you pray and you listen. See, following Jesus means leaving some things behind. When Jesus calls Matthew the tax collector in a few chapters, guess what? He walks from all of it. He left everything of worldly value and family. He left it all behind and he came and followed Jesus. See, their actions teach us today that obedience to God's will is still as critical today as it was back for the disciples of Jesus. And as they turned from their livelihood, they turned from being boss over their fishing business, they left their family they had grown up with. And for these four men here, they literally gave up everything and they had a new master to follow. So what were the terms on which Jesus called you after salvation? I don't know. I only know from my own life whether it's leaving nets behind or family or anything else in order to faithfully follow after Jesus Christ, I have to forsake everything and put Jesus Christ in the number one spot that I might respond to him when he calls me. Now, with all that being said, there's nothing wrong with family or fishing nets or other legal stuff, but if those things keep Jesus out of the number one spot of my life for being the shot caller, if they keep me from following him when he calls me, then I'm in big trouble spiritually and I need to repent. I need to get out of that. You had to turn and believe for salvation and you have to stay in that place of hearing Jesus' voice and following his leading. It's critical. You and I, we had to leave earthly stuff to follow Jesus and be his disciple. Salvation is a free gift. We came. And, and then the grace of God started teaching us, don't do those things. Start doing those things. And, and remember, they just started falling away. We didn't, even, we didn't have a program for it or nothing. They just started falling away. Yeah, because the grace of God was doing that work in our lives. But that has to continue it's not, well, I'll be on fire for a year and then I just get to go live my life any way I want to the rapture. Man, I, I don't see that. We know there's only one type of Christian that's getting into heaven. And Jesus described them in Luke chapter 13, verse 23. Let's turn there. You need to see this because I don't want you to think, well, I, well that, he just made that up. No, I, I didn't. Luke chapter 13, verse 23. Jesus is out teaching in various cities and someone comes up to him and asks Jesus a question. This is not a parable. It's a question. Luke 13, 23. Lord, are there few 
who are saved? That's the question. And Jesus said to them, strive, agonize, put some energy into it. Strive to enter through the narrow gate for many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. I can guarantee you that's not the world because the world believes that Christians are so narrow-minded. They, they believe the, it's a broad way to get to heaven. But these are the words of Jesus. And then he goes on, when once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. And he'll answer and say to you, not, man, I knew you at one time you're doing so well. What happened? No, that's not what he says. He says, I do not know you, where you are from. See, those are people who kept their hand in their pocket and went forward to an altar call and they were the Lord over their life and they never turned. Even though they still call him Lord, Lord. And notice they had some activity here. Then you, that would be the many standing outside, will begin to say, hey, we ate and drank in your presence. You taught in our streets, man. We are present for that. But he will say, say to you, I tell you, I do not know you. Where you're from, depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. Notice it's not spiritual activity that gets a person into heaven. These people had that. They even use the words, Lord, Lord. But those external things do not give a person a free ride into heaven. It is following Jesus Christ as Lord at salvation and then following him as Lord after salvation. And when he calls me, I go. Doesn't mean everyone leaves and goes to a foreign country. No, no, no. I don't think, I don't, I don't think, I think only few are called. I don't know. Maybe lots are called. I have no idea. It's also not enough to know some things about God and think you are okay. You know, in the Philippines, it's 85% Catholic. And, you know, all of them think they're okay with God, except the problem is they don't know him. It's kind of the same in this part of the world. Everybody believes they're a Christian in America, and yet, honestly, is this what Christianity looks like as you look at our country self-destructing? So it's not enough just to know some things about God and think you're okay. James, a half-brother of Jesus, as he wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, wrote in chapter 2, James chapter 2, you believe that there's one God, you do well. Even the demons believe that and tremble. There's some emotion to the demons. See, knowledge alone will leave me a little short. So it's not my works. Hey, but Lord, we, it's not a title I call him. It's not some knowledge. It's responding to his voice as you turn into Jesus, as you remove yourself off the throne of your life and you stay there because you've invited God's son into your heart as the Lord of your life. And, and, and I believe you'll never turn from that. Impossible. Why would you ever want to go back to be in charge of your life? That when a person turns, they stay put and they continue walking with Jesus. Perfect in it? No, we already talked about that. Not going to fail all over the place. And see, this is what causes a person to be born again. And then following him and abiding in him all the days of your life, obeying his voice is what keeps him Lord. That's what's going to get a person into heaven. But not even the obeying part. Just having him as Lord. And as he's Lord, you will obey because he's your Lord. It's 
So we want to learn from these fishermen because Jesus calls us and we're born again. We want to learn from these fishermen and how they responded to Jesus' voice team. You know, with a heart of faith, believing Jesus for the direction of their life. That's the first thing we see here. They're not questioning. They're not arguing. They're not giving excuses. They drop and they follow. That's what God wants from us. Two other things to observe about what these men, when Jesus called them, uh, show us. Please notice that Jesus uses ordinary people that are actively doing, present tense, ordinary things. And he calls them then, these ordinary people, to do extraordinary things. And he does that, that he might be glorified. As you look through your Bible, all these people that God calls are always busy doing something. He's not out looking for the gifted and talented. He's not out looking for the seminary degree religious professional or the man with funny initials after his name. He might use some of those. That's not his style. He's looking for people like you who will listen to his voice and follow him. Fishermen in Jesus' day were not exactly the hot catch amongst the religious ones of their day. Remember, they were the untrained, uneducated ones that the Pharisees and the religious council accused them of in Acts chapter 4. But how they were as followers of Jesus caused those religious dead ones in Acts chapter 4 to take notice. Please notice as Jesus calls them here, he doesn't tell them to take a course on evangelism and then he can use them. No, but rather he says to them, follow me and I will make you. Jesus is going to do the work. I will make you fishers of men. I will be the teacher. You be the disciple. You've turned. Keep following me. I'll be the teacher. You be the disciple. Little on-the-job training till you see me in heaven. And they all drop and they follow Jesus. And this is critical for us to understand today, team. It's Jesus who qualifies individuals. Not man and man's institutions or programs. Just ordinary people doing ordinary jobs that responded when Jesus speaks to them. And personally, I like this program of Jesus. It's like, take my yoke upon you and learn from it, Jesus says, and you'll discover that my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's the Jesus program. Tiring, scary, hard, easy, exciting, and fun. Yeah, all of that all together, always all at the same time. It's never separated out. But that's Jesus' program. When you're tired, he empowers you. When it's scary, he comes right beside you. When it's hard, he helps you figure it out. I mean, this program of Jesus in verse 19 does not get any better than this. I will make you. It doesn't say you are fishers of men. No, it's I will make you. It's a process, team. Learning every day how to be better. See, the day I decide to quit learning on how to become a better fisher as a man, I have a standing agreement with the Lord. Lord, I want you to just take me home because I'm going to be of no use anymore. We should always be wanting to become a better fisher as a man. That's our mission, all of ours. Because God's called us that others might be saved. As we make ourselves available to Jesus Christ, our master every day, or to use the words that he uses in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, as we deny ourselves, as we pick up our cross daily, it enables us to follow Jesus. 
And as we follow him, we need to realize that everything that we went through, everything that we engaged ourselves in last week was all part of the process of our lives for becoming better fishers of men this week. And then it just repeats itself. God's processes of life changes us for tomorrow's ministry for all who are born again, called to save lives. And that should excite us. I'm telling you, the most exciting thing, if you've never shared your faith with anybody, the most exciting thing that will ever take place in your Christian walk is when God uses you to share the truth of Jesus to somebody, and then the Holy Ghost brings those people to Jesus, and you get to watch them being transformed right before your eyes. There's nothing better, better than it on the earth. So so Jesus here in verse 23, starting out with four fishermen, and Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Please notice, teaching and preaching are first. And healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went out through all of Syria. You might want to look on your Bible map. Syria is up north. So his fame went beyond the borders of Israel, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. That's the end of the chapter, okay? So we're going to start next week in chapter 5. But the word is out. The stories about this man named Jesus of Nazareth are flying through the airways. These towns that are named in this section here, they cover about a 100-mile radius from Galveston to Willis going north and south and from Winnie to Hempstead going east and west. You go, okay, well, that's not that bad. Okay, let's add in 120 to 130 degree temperature in the summer and freezing temperatures in the winter. And all of this traveled by foot and almost all of it in the desert and up and down hills and mountains. Oh, well, that makes it a lot harder now. No, that means people were willing to travel and endure hardship to get to Jesus. I mean, Jesus was the much sought after commodity in his day. But still, the people had to come. As the voices were going out, God was using those, and he was calling people to come. Notice the order of activity in verse 23. Teaching, which is instructing. Preaching, which is exhorting people to obey. And then finally, healing. Always in that order. Throughout the scriptures, it's always in that order. Well, we're going to have a healing service for the next month. I I don't know. I, I just don't see that in the scriptures. It's teaching and preaching and healing, not healing, and then if we get to it, we'll do a little teaching. I don't see that. Seeing that Jesus is our example, we're going to follow his lead. It's a distinctive Calvary Chapel. We teach, and yet at the same time, we believe that God still heals today. And I know for proof, because you're still here, and I'm still here. And I had a long list of everything he had healed me from, but I don't need to read it because you have your list. The ministry of Jesus was restoration, spiritual first, then physical. And the biggest spiritual restoration that Jesus offers to all who will come to him today is the forgiveness of sins. And if that hasn't taken place in your life, friend, then you got to turn to him today. you got to take yourself off the throne of your life. And as you turn, I'm not going back to my old ways. I'm not going to be that Lord. And as you turn 
and ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life because you know he died on the cross for your sins and rose again from the dead. He'll restore you spiritually first, then physically. It's going to happen. Many unsaved people in the world today are tormented by their past sin, yet Jesus will take it from them if they will simply turn and obey their voice, but someone has to go out to them for them to be able to hear. In Revelation 14, we saw it during the tribulation period, God's going to send out an angel to preach to the whole world that they need to turn to Jesus. Why does he do that? Well, because the world's killed all the Christians, all those people that got saved during the tribulation period. But today, in our day and age, he's going to use us. He's going to use us to pray for people that they might be healed. But you know what? It takes faith. But God is on record in Hebrews 13, 8, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But it takes faith. I want to encourage you, back God into a box. You know, last night I, I got a message from this gal over in Seeky or when we met, and, and then she goes, hey, my eyes are, I feel like I'm going blind. I, and I, so I fired right back. Hey, we're going to be praying for you. Then I posted it. And then when, after I posted, I said, okay, God, you've got to work now. Lord, I know you can. I mean, they don't have money to go to the doctor, and the doctors are, well, you know, they're okay, depending on where they live. But it's like putting God in that place. Okay, God, you've got to work. You've got to do it. And she responded back with, the pain is gone, but I still have redness of eyes. Okay, so we continue to pray for her. Because God wants to heal today. The only time God won't heal is when he tells you, no, I'm not going to heal you. My grace is sufficient for you. Okay, that's good. Jesus' business is a restoration business, and he wants to use you and me. As he works in our own lives, he's called us to go out and work in other people's lives. And I understand that's a weird concept today. But if you look at every message Jesus preaches after the resurrection, it's go out, go, make disciples, preach the gospel, go, go, go. And see, once you turn and he's the Lord of your life, you go, oh yeah, I need to go. Well, that's kind of scary. But you take that step of faith and Jesus plants it and, and you watch him use you. No one's immune to that. All of us are called to go out and do the work of an evangelist. Not be an evangelist. No, that's a spiritual gift for some. But all of us are called to go do the work of an evangelist. The only variable in this whole thing is will I leave the things behind and follow when he calls me? You know, I'm sitting at Starbucks minding my own business and all of a sudden Jesus says, hey, will you go speak to that person? Am I willing to leave my coffee behind and obey? That's how God works. God works so supernatural in very natural things. And he wants to use you. That's why we're here. That's, where we, that's why we live in this part of the world. He's brought you here for such a time as this because he loves these people and he loves you. But it starts first with my own salvation. Then it, the second is then we go out and we become his ambassadors. Father, we're thankful for all that you want to do in our lives. Lord, help us to learn. Learn. 